Voices, reports, wars, and rumors of wars, lightnings, thunders, and an earthquake. I hope you were able to listen to our last program, which aired in two parts on Hebrew Nation Radio, called Earthquake Voices, Lightnings, and Thunder. If you haven't listened to it, please go to our blog page on our website at www.hiswordheals.com and give it a listen. Today's program is an unplanned part three to that message. First, I'm going to show you a video. Again, if you're listening to our podcast, you'll want to head over to our blog page at hiswordheals.com to watch the video. We all by now know about the huge seven-plus earthquakes in Turkey, followed by dozens of five- and six-magnitude aftershocks. But have you seen the huge canyon that broke open just outside the city of Antakya, Turkey? A city of hundreds of thousands of residents that is now not much of a city anymore? These Antakya earthquakes, the night of February 6th, split a huge olive grove in two, with a canyon about 130 foot or 13 stories deep and a football field's length wide. And remember, as I told you in our last set of programs, February 6th was actually on the biblical calendar, Tuba Shavat, which is the first day on the calendar year of the trees. And this is the night that the olive grove was split into by earthquakes. It's absolutely amazing to see, so I will show you the video shortly. But first, do you know the history of Antakya? It was founded about 300 BC and is, drumroll, the New Testament city of Antioch, where the disciples were first called Christians or Messianics. Another witness that these Turkey earthquakes could certainly be the first notable earthquakes in the book of Revelation, which start after the seventh seal on the scroll is loosed, as we posited in last week's message. As if that's not significant enough to get our attention, that's not all. In today's vernacular, ancient Antioch is called Antakya, and I can't help but ponder the idea that perhaps this name may have been inspired by a Hebrew name ending with the suffix Yah for Yahweh's name. I can't prove this, nor can I find a Hebrew word in scripture pronounced exactly Antak due to vowel points. However, if you sound out and spell just the consonants in Hebrew, Antak could be spelled Ayin, Nun, Tav, Kaf. And a word with those exact letters is found two times in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And this Hebrew form of the word ana is translated humbled of you. So if you were to add the suffix yah for Yahweh's name to the end of this word, it would mean humbled by yah. So let's read Deuteronomy chapter 8 for context. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land of which Yahweh swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that Yahweh your Elohim led you all the way these forty years in the wilderness to humble you. And that word is Ayin, Nun, Tav, Kaf, to humble you and to test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of Yahweh. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so Yahweh your Elohim chastens you." 
Therefore you shall keep the commandments of Yahweh your Elohim to walk in his ways and to fear him. For Yahweh your Elohim is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless Yahweh your Elohim for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget Yahweh your Elohim by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full, and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, and you forget Yahweh your Elohim, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth, and you shall remember Yahweh your Elohim, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget Yahweh your Elohim and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which Yahweh destroys before you, so you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of Yahweh your Elohim. Keeping that possible connection with the word or the name Antakya in mind, Antak could also be spelled with different consonants that also form another Hebrew word in scripture. They could be Aleph instead of Ayin, Nun again, Tav again, and then the end with Kof instead of Kof. This exact spelling is also found in two Old Testament verses, Jeremiah 30 verse 8 and Nahum 1 verse 13, and is translated in both verses as burst thy bonds. For example, release from bondage, which is also what the judgments of Revelation are all about, releasing the earth and his people from the bondage of wickedness, and also what Deuteronomy 8 reminds them that they were released from the bondage of slavery. Jeremiah 30, starting in verse 5. For thus says Yahweh, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear and not peace, and now ask and see. Whether a man is ever in labor with child, so why do I see every man with his hands on his loins, like a woman in labor, and all faces turned pale? Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it, for it shall come to pass. In that day, says Yahweh of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck and will burst your bonds, and here's that word, burst your bonds, Aleph, Nun, Tav, Kof. Foreigners shall no more enslave them, but they shall serve Yahweh their Elohim and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Now we'll head over to Nahum chapter 1. So Nahum is judgment against the capital of Assyria. 
and the ancient Assyrian Empire included at least about a third of what is modern-day Turkey and also included the city of Antioch or Antakya. So let's start in verse 12. Thus says Yahweh, Though they are safe and likewise many, yet in this manner they will be cut down when he passes through. And that's talking, of course, about Assyria. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. And now he's talking about his people. For now I will break off his yoke, the Assyrian's yoke, from you and burst your bonds apart. Yahweh has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. I will dig your grave, for you are vile. And that's back to the Assyrian or Assyria. Behold, on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feasts, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. And again, that's the Assyrian. He is utterly cut off. So now let's watch the video. The earthquakes in Turkey, as we've reported for days now, destroyed city after city and have claimed and changed thousands of lives. They've changed landscapes, though, too. A ravine the width of a football pitch has opened up outside the city of Antakya, cracking asunder a landscape rich with olive groves, as John has discovered. Since the earthquake struck southern Turkey in the early hours of Monday morning last week, most of the focus, obviously, has been on the consequences for human beings. Far less attention has been on the consequences for the earth itself. But here in the farmland outside Antakya, there is a very good example of that. This is the world's newest valley. During that awful night, as they cowered in their homes, the locals knew that something cataclysmic had happened. But imagine their surprise when they first saw this chasm. We went to the bottom of it for the perspective from down there. But actually, the best way to illustrate what we're talking about here is from above. The local people said that at the time they thought it was an air raid, the sound of explosions created by cracking rock, the flashes by the sparks that flew as the Earth's crust was torn apart. Seventh seal, voices, lightnings, thunders and an earthquake? It used to be a flat field. I would ride my motorbike on it, said this boy. It was all an olive grove which is now bisected by a gorge that in places is the width of a football field. The rift is so deep that a 13-storey building could fit in it. This boy said that just after first light that morning, they came out here and found this. They were terrified and started crying. We thought we had witnessed something that's out of this world. Eventually, the cities and towns will be clear of rubble. But this rupture, shaky ground permitting, will endure as a reminder of the power of the quake, the power of 7.8. John Irvine, News at 10, Southern Turkey. Isn't that incredible? 
reminds us of Zechariah 14, verses 3 and 4. Then shall Yahweh go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. This wasn't the Mount of Olives, but was certainly an olive grove in the biblical place where the disciples of Yeshua were first called Christians in what was ancient Antioch. Deuteronomy 8 warns us to remember that he humbled and tried us in the wilderness, and that when we are scattered and go after other gods, he would judge us. Ancient Antioch, one of the first places in the wilderness that received Yeshua's merciful forgiveness, has gone after other gods. Antakya and Turkey as a whole are majority Muslim country, and have certainly turned over their Christian heritage to other gods. Is the earthquake and split olive grove just outside Antakya meant to humble his people and perhaps be one of the first signs of the coming judgments revealed in the opening of the seventh seal of Revelation, which contains the seven trumpet judgments for the last seven years before his millennial kingdom? Remember, teruah, as in Yom Teruah, is any loud noise, shouting, or trumpet blast that serves as a joyful noise, perhaps signaling the soon bursting of our bonds to wickedness, and warning alarm, the judgments of Revelation trumps are coming. Do I guarantee all of this is correct? Absolutely not, but we are told to watch and warn. We believe these are possibilities based upon scripture worth watching and warning about. So while we are watching, perhaps we should back up and also do some self-examination and compare our lives and congregations or denominations against the seven churches or assemblies of Revelation. These are warnings received by John to give to believers, Christians, Messianics, the redeemed of Israel. So let's start at the beginning and consider these promises and warnings directed to us, especially as the time of redemption and judgment draws near. Revelation chapter 1 The revelation of Yeshua Messiah which Elohim gave him to show his servants things which must take place swiftly. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of Elohim and to the testimony of Yeshua Messiah to all things that he saw. Verse 3, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. There is a blessing to both those who read or proclaim the Hebrew revelation. The word there is actually call out as in voice crying out in the wilderness. Blessed is he who calls out the words of revelation and he who hears the called out words of revelation and keep those things which are written in it. And keep here is G5083, which is to guard, keeping an eye on, be a spectator of, to discern, behold, consider, look on, perceive, hold fast, keep, serve, and watch. So whether we are reading or proclaiming the words of Revelation, which is what we're doing now with this program, or whether you are hearing the words of Revelation, which is what you're doing now listening to this program, we are promised a blessing if we keep the things, watch for the things, look for the things that we're told about in the book of Revelation. Keep that in mind as you're listening, and then go out and keep and proclaim them as well. Verse 4. 
John, to the seven churches or assemblies which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Yeshua Messiah, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood." And in verse 4, we can see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or the spirits, actually, of Yahweh. This is not the Trinity in the traditional sense, because it shows us that the Son and the spirits are from the Father, or from the Elohim, the Mighty One, the One who sits upon the throne. We have Him who is, who was, and who is to come sitting on the throne. That's Yahweh the Father. He is self-existent and eternal. And the greeting comes from Him, as well as His seven spirits that are before the throne, and Yeshua Messiah, who is also the Word of Yahweh made flesh, as we are told in John chapter 1 who is also from the Father. And Yeshua washed us from our sins in his own blood. And continuing on in verse 6, And has made us kings and priests to his Elohim and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says Yahweh, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Yeshua Messiah, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of Elohim and for the testimony of Yeshua Messiah. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, is what it says here, and it would be Yahweh's day, which would actually be the seventh day. The Sabbath is Yahweh's day. He was in the spirit on the Sabbath and heard behind him a loud voice as of a trumpet. And we'll also see that he was taken to the seventh day, the seventh millennium, which is also the day of the Lord, the day of Yahweh. Continuing on verse 11, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches or assemblies which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed in a garment down to the feet. And in the Hebrew revelation, it actually says clothed with a white garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. And we know the high priest one day a year on Yom Kippur to go into the Holy of Holies changes his priestly garments to a white garment girded about the chest. It's not girded with a golden band, but here Yeshua is our high priest in heaven and much of Revelation is all about a Yom Kippur service, all about the Day of Atonement, the Day of Judgment. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the voice of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, which of course we know the two-edged sword is the word of Yahweh, and it is two-edged because his word is mercy, it is merciful, but it is also judgment. 
hence the two-edged sword of his word, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, and I have the key of Hades and of death." Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So now for the seven churches, starting in chapter 2, verse 1, let's pay close attention to the church of Ephesus, what is told to them. So to the angel or the messenger of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works and your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come quickly to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches or assemblies. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of Elohim. Could the church of Ephesus be representative, or at least the message to the church of Ephesus, be representative of a message to the end times, Hebrew roots, messianics, whatever you would like to call us? Consider, most if not all of us were saved in the Christian church. We fell in love with Yeshua in the Christian church. Even though it was through a message of Christmas and Easter and baby Jesus, we did, and even some of our kids first found Yeshua as Jesus. We fell in love with him and with his salvation and his mercy, and we were very merciful at that time as well. Then we were called out of the church and our eyes were open to his Torah. And some of us may have become what I've heard called as Torah Nazis. We started thinking, we've got it all figured out. It's our way or the highway. It's our understanding or you're wrong. We got angry and were mad at all of the lies that we learned. And so we started going over to the other side. And some of us may have even rejected Yeshua Messiah. Have we become all about judgment, all about adherence to the letter of the law? And have we lost our first love, that love that we found merciful and forgiving? And now we're rendering judgment to everyone who does not see Torah the way that we see Torah now? Do we need to return to our first love? Do we need to teach our children to return to our first love, which is Yeshua Messiah? And that doesn't mean throwing out the Torah. It means administering and adhering to the Torah, but in love, in mercy, because that is also the Torah. We need to realize that we were saved by the mercy of Yeshua Messiah when we were completely filthy in our sins, filthy and unclean, yet he brought us up out of that filth 
saved us, had mercy on us, and loved us, and let us live in that love for a time, most of us for quite some time, before he showed us our uncleanness that we had come out of, before he showed us an understanding of what we were supposed to leave behind. But now we're taking the Torah and whacking people over the head with it at times, and not allowing that time for mercy for others to come out, that others might be at a different place than we are, but they are still saved in Yeshua Messiah, and we need to fall back in love with our Messiah, back in love with our King, with our merciful Savior. We need to, verse 5, Remember, therefore, from where we have fallen, repent and do the first works. Go back to mercy. Go back to taking care of the poor and the downtrodden and the people that don't understand, the people that still need salvation. Go back to evangelizing and tell people about the good news. Do the first works or else he will come to us quickly and remove our lampstand from its place unless we repent. If this message is to us, which I believe that it very well could be, we need to examine our hearts and return to our first love before it's too late. If we want to be part of the Church of Philadelphia, we need to return to our first love. And Philadelphia, as we'll see shortly, is the Church of Brotherly Love. It is justice, but it is also mercy and forgiveness. That's all the time we have today, so we'll have to continue with the seven churches of Revelation next week. Blessings and shalom to all of you and everyone in your home. <music> 